Cyrus shall see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You should, who shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be crowned with the glory of the land of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer return for safety, nor shall your poor land any more return to Jesuit. But you shall be called Hepzibah, and your land be for the Lord delights in you, and your hand shall be made. And For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your son be made. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God be Perhaps this is still the servant in verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. I will not keep quiet until her righteousness and her salvation are burning brightly. God will work, the servant will continue his mission until, until Zion is, is, is bright and glorious. To the point where, as he said already several times, the nations and the kings will see your righteousness and see your glory. You'll be called by a new name. Now a new name would indicate a new situation. And the old names weren't adequate. So a new vocabulary is sought, a new, a new name for his people. Now, people have done a lot of things with that. But uh, in the context, what's the new name? Hepzibah and Beulah. Or, if you've got the New American Standard, it actually translates those. Hepzibah means, my delight is in her. And Beulah means, married. They're going to be now the people that God delights in. The people who are married to him. So, now they're not going to be called forsaken and desolate. That won't be their names anymore. Because they're going to have this new relationship with God in which he delights in her. He says, for the Lord delights in you. And he says in the end of verse 5, your God will rejoice over you. That's an, an amazing blessing. We get to the point where God actually rejoices over us. Where he delights in us. Where he's so proud of us. Where he, he's just so excited to have us as his people. You just don't think about God having those sorts of feelings. You know, we, we think of God either being very passive and stoic or perhaps holding his nose and enduring us. But to think of him delighting in his people, rejoicing in his people, reminds me a lot of my uh, one of my favorite prophetic verses that you've heard me say a few times, you've heard me very often, in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17, where he exalts over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Can you imagine God rejoicing over his people with shouts of joy? Just exclamations of glee because he loves his people so much and he's so happy to have them as his people. We need to think more about that. As the Messiah brought us into this kind of a relationship with God where he actually delighted in us, where he rejoices in us. That's, a, that's an overwhelming thing to imagine. How God could ever come to actually take joy in, in his people. So this is the new name. They're, they're now God's people. He delights in them. There's a song, but it's an old song, about Beulah land. And uh, the, the song describes the blessings of being in Beulah land. That is, in the land that's married to God. And then the chorus talks about how we're in Beulah land looking across the sea where mansions are prepared for us. 
us. So we're already in Dula land looking forward to even the greater relationship with God we'll have in heaven. It's a cool song if you understand what Dula land means. <laughs> you know it might seem a little weird, but, uh, but it's just taking that, that phrase and uh, you know, understanding that it means Mary. Comments and questions on these five verses. Um, um, in verse 5, where I know man marries a virgin, so your son will marry you. Um, well, I think the idea is just we'll be married to God. We'll marry him in this. That there's this close relationship between us and God, our sons and God. Well, well I guess the sons marry the, I guess the mother? Okay. No, I think the sons are marrying the Lord. Okay. So your sons will marry you, that is the Lord. Other comments, questions? Uh, Eric? What's the idea of being married to the land and like saying it's just married to people? Uh, let's see, what do you uh, Your land will be married. I have, and to him, your land will be married, is what we have. I have a new understanding. But I think it's still the idea of, you know, they're married to God in their land. And the state of being married in Yeah. I mean, the, the whole people. Are married to God. In the New American Standard, for the Lord delights in you, and to Him your land will be married. The land is married to God in the sense that the people who live on the land are married to God. Ben? I guess, you know, verse 5, the thing that jumps at me is um, we can be joined to God as a, as a pure, you know, He, he looks at us. Uh, with the love and mercy grace of, of something pure like a virgin, but really you weren't, you know, um, whatever you're afraid with, uh, pure Jose with a friend of mine. And I guess just thinking about how much children of Israel poured themselves out to sin and how much we, you know, um, Ephesians 2 and Romans 5, how much we gave ourselves over to sin, and really we shouldn't be recognized um, with this kind of joy, but because of God's grace and mercy, He does give that kind of joy to us. It's very sobering. Absolutely. This is not a status that we have merited. It is totally by the grace of God as he sent his servant. And and chapter 53, as, as he bore our sins and carried our griefs, and by his stripes we are here. John. It's kind of neat to see the reciprocal nature of the delight uh, in 61.10. I delight in the Lord in 63. Two and, and verse four, uh, my delight is in her. So. Good point. Other thoughts? Six to twelve. I have set a watchman upon my walls of Jerusalem, which shall never hold her peace day or night. He that made mention of the Lord, keep not silence. Behold, thy salvation cometh. 
Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and that shall be called sought out the city not forsaken. Okay. It's amazing reassurance that God gives his people. He says in verse 6, On your walls of Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. Because what are they doing? They are reminding God until he does what? Yes. God has appointed these watchmen to night and day give him no peace, reminding of him of his commitment to bless his people. That's, that's really reassurance. You wouldn't really expect God to forget a promise he made, would you? But to give us even more reassurance of that, he says, I've, I've got watchmen on the walls that are going to remind me continuously day and night until I actually do, you know, give these blessings that I've said that I would. And I make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. That, that's just, you know, such a, a reassuring thing. There's a lot of things God does to reassure us. He'll say in verse 8, the Lord is sworn by his right hand and by his strong arm that he would never again give your grain to enemies and, and the foreigners won't drink your new wine and so forth. You'll, you'll be able to enjoy the fruit of your own labors, which was different than what it had been in the past in the captivity. Well, you know, does God really have to swear, take an oath, to be honest? Like so. Uh, God has never told a lie, oath or no oath. So why does he swear? Far Absolutely. To reassure us. He really wants to make sure they have complete confidence. God will forgive this commitment. God will absolutely fulfill what he has said. God is so patient with us. He's so merciful. I mean, you know, he's already providing blessings through his grace that are unbelievable. And then to go beyond that and make sure we really believe that he'll do it. That we really have confidence that he'll fulfill his promises. That is such amazing grace on his part. To really want us to have that degree of confidence in, in what he'll do for us. He really, he, he's going to do these things for his people and he wants them to know that and believe that. I like some thoughts to verse 9. I have to wonder whether we have the same amount of patience with the people who go live with us. Well, that's a good question. And it should be sobering to us, thinking how quickly we're frustrated. We can lash out at others when they seem to frustrate or hurt us. We're in the same respect, we would never be lashing at us. That's something we probably never yeah, that's uh, that's very convicting. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly what we My struggles with my impatience often make me stop and think, even though I don't want to, about how different I am when I'm impatient than the Lord is with me. And that's just not right. I mean, we need to have that same mercy that's been extended to us. 
these are the, the food they're, they're growing for themselves. You talk about not giving it to, to the enemies and others, but you keep it for yourselves. Well, like, at the end of verse 9, it says, uh, those who gather it will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. So we're still not keeping it for ourselves, but we are, in a way at least, sacrificing it to God, you know, eating and drinking it in his courts. It's not just ours, we're eating it in our little places. Good point. Yeah, this is never for us to be independent of the Lord and just have things for our own selfish enjoyment, but to share those things in communion and fellowship with God. Good point. These watchmen aren't uh, blind and uh, unable to bark like the uh, previous. Yeah, thankfully. Yes. Watchmen. Yeah. Good, good comparison with chapter fifty-six. So he says. Go through, in verse 10, clear the way for the people. You know, get, get the way prepared for his people. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the daughter of Zion, in verse 11, Lo, your salvation comes. God is bringing the salvation, he's bringing the blessings, because the Savior has come. His reward is with him, his recompense before him. And now they are the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, they are now a city not forsaken. These are the blessings God is bringing to his people through the servant. He's bringing them really, this whole picture, I think ending at the end of 62, really comes from, say, 59.20. A redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression to Jacob. And the rest of this are the results of the Redeemer coming to Zion to those who turn from transgression. And that's chapter 60 to 62, which is really just one wonderful picture of the wonderful blessings we have in Christ. You might think about this. If you were a Jew in Isaiah's day, or in the captivity, and you read 60 to 62, and you dreamed about it, you thought, whoa, that is going to be so amazing. I can't Well, I, I, I wish, I wish I could live in this era that is being described. Can you imagine the excitement you feel and the, the anticipation and the eagerness and, and, oh, this is wonderful. We understand these blessings as being our blessings that we have in Jesus. Do we appreciate what God has given us as much as those who had first read these promises, looked forward to them. It reminds me uh, of 1 Peter chapter 1, which is a passage we always ought to keep in mind. In verse 10 of 1 Peter 1, as to this salvation of prophets, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Wow. I mean, they were, they were so impressed with what God inspired them to prophesy. Prophesied. They wanted so much to know about this. And they found out they, these prophecies relate to you. They're all about the blessings you have. These are the very things that the angels were longing to look into and know more about. We have the blessings that the angels long to know more about. Do we appreciate?
appreciate them? Do we value them? Do we treasure them? Do we are we grateful for them? It's just it's just so outrageous. When God liberated the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and all they can do after that is complain. It's so outrageous when God has ushered us into these these incredible blessings that he predicted. And all we can do is complain. We need to be grateful and appreciative and love God and value these blessings that God has so longed to give us and we have now received. Comments and questions? Jerusalem that God is glorified. Revelation 21. 